Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God today. So we didn't have a screen today, but that's okay. Is it ringing real bad? We're good? Okay. Um, sometimes it's good. It can be annoying sometimes when you don't have the right media stuff, but sometimes it's a really good reminder of what you do have. And as we prayed before service, every day what we have, we have Jesus every day. We don't need a screen for that. We have each other every day. We don't need a screen for that. We need each other for that, and we need Jesus for that, and he's here, and he's with you, and he's with us, and so I love that that happened on a day when I'm preaching, when we're starting to get into our vision stuff, and I'm going to be talking about living in love, and if you guys don't know, if you just look around, there's four vision frames in here. These are not things we just found on a website. Sarah and I prayed for a year, and this is what um, we feel like God extracted from our heart, even before we knew we were going to be here in Smyrna, or these are the things that we thought, if there was a church that was our dream... God, provide these things. And living in love is important to me because, and I think, I wouldn't say that like this is the most important one, right? When you're looking over there at word, worship, and prayer. Like, we all know the word is important. But I think this strikes a chord with me, living in love, because I've been so involved in communities where the opposite is happening and where some kind of weird theology is blended in. And it's not about living in love. Um, it's about honoring people and seats of honor, and it's about important people and people who are there to help support the important people. And so this to me really jumps out. I think this was the first one we like mapped out was living in love because we knew in our hearts that if we wanted to lead a church, it would be servant style leadership. It would be how Jesus, and I'm going to preach from this chapter today in, in John 13, kneel before his disciples and he washed their feet, you know, and, and leadership in America is not that way, right? Even in Christian churches, it's really disappointing how badly we have this, how many people we serve, and how, you know, the man of God, how many, how many people have heard the man of God line of, of whatever, honoring this person over and above these other people? 
the idea that the pastor is more important or that somebody's more important. I just don't like that. I feel like it's opposite biblical. I feel like it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus came to do. And that's disappointing because that's the most foundational thing. So if the most foundational thing is off, then everything that grows out of it is off. And this is why John 13 is really important. He shows us how you, how you love people, how you lead people. It's not domineering. It's not, as Constantine, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's not this idea of build these massive cathedrals and, and whoever has the biggest one's the best church, you know. And I was in here with a, another important pastor. I'm not the other one. I don't know why I said that. There's been important pastors that have heard about what we're doing, and it's interesting. They, like, have showed up. There's been, there's been people walking in this building, and they're like, what are you doing here? And one of them made a statement that just, I haven't even said this to him, so it's not gossip, but he was like, man, this space is really beautiful. You're going to be farther along than we are, you know, when you're four years in. And when he said it, I was like, oh, something about that I didn't like. And, and then I started to realize there's this idea that, if we happen to have more people in four years than he has, then we're farther along, which is completely from the pit of hell. There's nothing that could be farther from the truth. But if discipleship, you know, like if, if we stay this size forever and you guys are going on mission trips to whatever and we're so influencing these people that we know all these names of these people in this top floor over here and, and all these business owners, we serve them so well that our name begins to resonate not because of the space but because of the people I think then, then I want to be farther along, if that makes sense. And so, but there's this weird, foundational, really ugly picture of what Christian community is supposed to be like right now, especially in America, and I want to, I want to reform that with you guys. I want to be a part of showing there are people who will give their lives for the gospel. You know, martyrs have no place in the prosperity gospel. There would be no opportunity for martyrdom in the prosperity gospel. They would be told... You're not living a biblical life. And Jesus is saying, I'm a martyr. And so today, this whole message is really based on that. And I'm going to probably spend two, but possibly three weeks on living in love. And so these next few weeks are going to be funky. Today's Memorial Day. Um, next week will be the same. It's the summer. It's going to be funky all the way through summer. So get here when you can. I will not need more push messages back. I'm going to preach the message for the day. And we're going to continue forward. If there's eight people here or a million people here. is that Can we agree on that? Is that good? Awesome. Um, all right, so there's something about, um, I'm going to pray. Father, just be here. Saturate each person. Saturate this place, if that's even spiritually possible. Saturate our communal hearts. Saturate our single, singular hearts. And I do thank you right now, in Jesus' name, for Pentecost, which happened on this day thousands of years ago. You know, 50 days after, after the resurrection and, and the week of Passover, God, you, you met a group of guys that were praying in a building and then gave them all the ability to speak with either unknown tongues or tongues of other lands. And 3,000 people got saved at the end of the day and the church was unified. Thank you for Pentecost. We ask that you would redeem that word too. For me, it's just crazy, craziness. And I, it's not, it's not what your, your intention wasn't that that would be crazy. So remove all the crazy, weird stuff that happened with it and remind us that you gave tongues of fire over, over people's heads so the gospel could go forth, so that people would know about Jesus, so that people would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to take this new understanding and this new way to be to the world. Help us to realize that today. Don't let us get caught on the peripherals, being about something peripheral. Let us get caught on you, Jesus. And then if you bring tongues of fire that hover over our hands, our feet, 
over animals, whatever you want to do. We don't want to pigeonhole you into one thing. So we say yes to that, and we thank you for Pentecost, and we thank you for Peter's sermon and 3,000 people who got saved. So we just ask that would continue in us today, the spirit of Pentecost, to take the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Being with others is kind of like a, um, it's hard, I think, especially if you're not Christian. And I think it's understandable if you're not a Christian when you're around somebody you don't like, you just don't hang out with them. That's kind of easy, right? People that annoy us, we don't tend to give them too much time. Um, and Christianity, it's, I wish it was different, but it's really the same. We went on a retreat two weeks ago with all of our favorite RCC people. I'm just kidding. I told all those people they were the B crew, and they were going on an A trip soon. We just invited anybody and everybody who would come, and it happens to be all of the young singles and then the people who work here. So, But we, we noticed about three days in, we're staying in the same place with 24 people for four days, and there's just there's no way around it. You're going to be annoyed by over half the people by the end of the trip. And I think Bill had a statement, just one of his like poignant Bill statements you know, with, it's like that with family. So we, we're going after this, this thing together. We're trying to do this biblically. And the way to do it is the more you get to know people, the more you find out who you don't like. And, and here's the honest truth. I'm going to say this from up here. There's going to be people you don't like. There's going to be people that do not like you, you know. And the trick isn't to find all the people that you do like. There's plenty of churches doing that. Let's not be guilty. The trick is to figure out how do we continue to exist in community when I don't like Jason because he hits softballs farther than me. Big deal. The trick is to not feel like Christianity is about finding all good people that do all the good things together and everybody is happy. The trick is in Christianity realizing that there are going to be people, there are people in this room that are going to push every one of your buttons. Even after you tell them, you're really pushing my buttons. And they're not going to care because it's just part of who they are. And the trick is learning how to coexist with that kind of human. Because, see, beauty doesn't come when you find, like, if James finds all of the attractive 6'4", guys that model, ride Harleys, and, and lead worship. That's just a church with a bunch of attractive people that lead worship. But if all of us get together and there's a guy like me next to James or whoever in this room The trick is for a community, not church, to see when the annoying person is loved super well. And not just because they have to, but this person has found a place. When societies see this, we start to model a different kingdom. We don't model a different kingdom by everybody being loud and everybody showing their gift. That's not anything new, guys. That's not anything new. The Spirit of God was given for supernatural unity supernatural unity and that's the best picture you're going to get of heaven that there is the best picture there is no arguments in heaven there are no fights in heaven there is no anger in heaven there's complete unity i'll even say this i don't believe everyone in heaven is walking around speaking in tongues they don't need it anymore because they've reached what they were using it for does that make sense complete and utter unity so how do we have that picture of heaven here i think this is living in love and I'm glad I'm, I'm talking about this with you today. This is a foundational passage, and it's important that you get this first in our community because you can't give what you don't receive. And so this, this passage is beautiful because he's showing them this is how you do it. I have to do this to you first. This is going to be your big umph statement. This is him. 
I have to do this to you first, and then you can do it. I don't, I don't want you to watch me do it and then just kind of observe this and then do it. I need to do this to you so that you can do it. And so your big takeaway today is going to be, do you understand what he has done for you? You're going to have to interact with that today. Do you understand what he has done for you? I'm not asking you, do you understand what he wants you to do? Do you understand what he has done for you? And if you get it, then you can, then you can take it. I mean, imagine if Jesus came and he said, do everything I do. You know, model me. And he came in like Michael Jackson leather. And he only showed up to events where they paid him $10,000 to speak. There would be nobody that could follow Jesus because there's not a lot of that leather out there. Nobody can pay anybody $10,000. And so he, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. He made it accessible for everyone. Everyone can relate to poverty. Everyone can relate to not having anything. Everyone can relate to kneeling down and serving someone. These are things that aren't just for one class. This can happen anywhere at any time. Another knock against the prosperity gospel. You can't reproduce that. You can't. There will only ever be a certain select group that are prospering. In, in Christ's version of Christianity, he gives us the most reproducible thing. It's serving. Anybody and everybody can serve. You can serve right now when you leave here. And he's saying, go and be like me. And so I'll read this passage to you and stop jumping all over the place. I won't call it up there, but just know this. This is coming after an argument had arisen from the disciples, and they were arguing about who is the greatest. Who is the greatest out of all of us? And some of them thought they were, and some of them probably didn't think they were. Judas probably knew he wasn't, but they had an argument, which one of us is the greatest? And so this comes right on the heels of that. And if you want to open to John chapter 13, I'll give you a couple moments to open up to this passage. We're going to spend this week, at least next week, and the week after kind of jumping into this. And hopefully you have just saturated yourself in this word so that you can take it to your family, your school, your work, everywhere. It's a good reminder, too, that we should take our Bibles places so that we can read. I'm going to read to you John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel... That was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Super zealous, religious guy, he's going to be like the winner. Then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus was probably like, calm down, buddy. Just calm down. Seriously. Seriously, Peter. He sounds so... Unless, you know, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. 
for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So just to set the stage, kind of here's the canvas of this event. They walk in from a street. There's no slave present there. When you would walk in, a slave would normally be there, and the slave of the household would wash everyone's feet. But they're doing this in secret, so they couldn't. So they all walk in, and super awkwardly, all of them approach the table and sit, and no one's washed anyone's feet. And the reason the disciples haven't washed anyone's feet is because only a servant would wash feet. In fact, John the Baptist said that this is the lowest thing that a slave can do is wash the feet of another man. And so all the disciples are walking. I'm sure each one of them are looking at the basin going, I wonder who's going to do this. All of them walk past it. Jesus is walking. They're sitting down, nasty feet, no slave in the house. Right on the heels, another bit of canvas or backdrop for this. It says in the beginning of this passage, Jesus knows who he is at this point. Jesus knows that he's Lord. Jesus knows that he created each of these people and the earth. Jesus knows who his father is. Jesus knows that he's about to die. Jesus knows that he will rise from the dead. Jesus knows that there's a betrayer in the room. Jesus knows that the devil had prompted him. So this, this is the most beautiful picture of, of one of the most timeless, awesome passages ever. And the canvas is a bunch of nastiness. The canvas is he's sitting in the room with the enemy, with someone who's there who doesn't like him. He's sitting in a group of people who think that none of them should serve each other. One should be better than the rest. So it's important to know that because he knows his identity, and he does this to set the stage for this story, which becomes really the foundation of the gospel. And Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his clothes, puts on the clothes of a slave, and then he kneels at the feet of his disciples, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, which is crazy. And he starts to go around, and I love like the prophetic imagery that's happening here and you find out in a question in a minute what he's trying to do but this is a representation of what will happen so he knows what's about to happen is he's about to die on a cross and so there's prophetic imagery of him taking off his godly robes becoming a man so you say they don't understand this yet he's taking off who he is putting on the clothes of a slave becoming a man kneeling down to serve man whom he created washing their feet or cleaning them. It's this prophetic imagery of what's about to happen on the cross. Does this make sense? It's like a micro of a macro. And the macro is he's actually going to die on a cross and serve man that way. Does that make sense? And none of them get it yet. And none of them understand it. And they really shouldn't yet because there's no way that they can do that. And so he gets to Peter. And Peter is this emphatic guy that doesn't want to be served. And here's what I don't like. I don't like looking at these passages and, and, and just being like none of us would do this stuff. Peter's just responding in the way that I think any of us would. It's this idea of trying to do something for him before he does something for you. Peter's this representation of somebody who's saying to a Lord who's like, you don't get it if you don't calm down. I got, I've got to do this for you. If you don't allow me to do this for you, you'll miss the whole thing. You can continue to try and perform. You can continue to try and do what you're trying to do. Be better than all these guys. But you will miss what I'm trying to do. This has got to be a wake-up call for somebody in this room. Stop trying to perform for him. Stop carrying the baggage of what performance leads to to the cross. Let it go. Sit at his feet and let him serve you. Listen, people abuse the grace gospel, right? But I think if the grace gospel is preached right, it's... It makes sense. You can't over 
preach the grace gospel. He has to serve you before you can serve. And so Peter wouldn't allow him to, didn't want him to, and had the like really inquisitive questions to ask him. And then he put him in his place. And then this next part, if you'll open up to 12 through 17, this is where I want to land with you, and I want you to just kind of drink this in. If you'll open up to um, John 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Such imagery there. Think about that. He put his clothes back on and returned to his place. It's like he's going to ascend to the Father. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's crazy to me that he asked this question. I just want you to interact with this. He knows that they don't know. He knows that when he asks them the question, do you know what I have done for you? That they don't know the answer. So why would he ask that question? Just for a moment with me, just let your mind kind of take that in. He's staring at his disciples. Do you know what I've done for you? They don't. Have you ever been in like a situation where somebody really smart asks you a question and you want to pretend like you know the answer? So you're like, totally know what you're saying, man. And you're hoping that they don't really come back around. You're like, what is it that I'm saying? And you're like, why don't you tell me? See if you know what you're saying. I'm so guilty of doing that. Just imagine being in the room with him and all your disciples are like, what is happening? And he's like, do you know what I've done for you? And all of them are like, bro, we got you. We're totally in on this. And none of them had a stinking clue. And he knew that they wouldn't and there was no way that they could. Do you know what I've done for you? Here's what I think he's trying to highlight. He's trying to highlight here to me, this could maybe push some buttons. I hope it does in a good way. Christians are really good at thinking they know more than they actually know. I mean, we feel like we have to have the right answer for everybody. We feel like we can't be in doubt about anything because if we're in doubt about anything, then we're ye of little faith and we must not love the Lord. When really a world is looking for people who are still needing answers to questions and don't pretend like they have it all together, I think he's actually looking at these 12 guys and saying, none of you have a clue because you're all morons and I made you. And I want you to know that so that you can still be pliable. Because in just a little while, you're going to see something happen, and you'll remember this, and you'll have the information from here to, to bring back to this question, do you know what I've done for you? There's no way that they could know what. But it's important, I think, for you guys and, and myself. Let's not feel like we have to be perfect, right? Like, the most, the most impressive gospel carriers to me are the ones that slip amongst the group. You don't hear them. You don't notice them. And they're all of a sudden interacting with people. And people are falling in love with Jesus because what do people say about Christians that they really want? I'm just looking for somebody who's real. I've heard that more this week than I've heard in the last year. Why did you choose that church? Somebody is is going to a church. Why did you choose it? Well, they're just real there. Everybody is looking for somebody who's just themselves. So I think what Jesus is trying to say to them and he's trying to say to you Listen, Peter, the baggage you carry from trying to perform, stop. Do you know what I've done for you? No, I don't, Father. I really don't. 
And I think some of you in this room right now need to be able to say that to him. I really don't know what you have done for me. I don't. I can tell you the story. I can repeat what's been told to me, but I really don't know what you've done for me. And I think he wants us to interact with that too. But here's what I want you to notice as well. There's this place he's trying to take them, and there's the place they are, and there's a distance between. And it seems like in every conversation Jesus has with anybody in the Bible, he doesn't ask them for a straightforward answer. He asks them to show them these two different places, where they're at and where they will be. And so today for you, in a moment, we're going to just have some challenging questions. I want you to figure out where you're, if the Lord is asking you that, if the Lord's looking at you and and piercing into your life and saying, do you understand what I've done for you? To be honest about where you're really at. It's almost the same thing we talked about two weeks ago when I said, what's your, what's your first, second, third? You know, which, what, what's your, what are you seeking first? Another question today. What, do you know what he's done for you? And if you don't know what he's done for you, where are you? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be confusing to you guys. I want to read you one more passage. Because Jesus is really... And for us, as we build on this, you know, as, and for you guys, you know, if you're going to say, well, I'm part of River City Church, well, what are you guys about? It's important that you guys can talk about that, you know, and, and your first answer can't be, well, we have this awesome space in the heart of the community. That's so superficial for us to fall back on that. But what makes us us, right? What makes you want to be here? What made you decide, you know, what? I think we're going to go to that church, It's got to be more than how pretty this place is. And the thing I love about that is pretty much everybody in this room was here before we got this. So you've seen the ugly. You've seen the nomadic phase. You've seen the times when the water didn't work. You were there the time when the toilets overflowed and the whole place smelled like crap. (laughs) It was nasty. You've seen, you've you've been through these times where just real life happens. And so why are you here, you know, like... Why do you want to be a part of River City? Why, why do we want to be in this community together? It has to be more. So I, I think he's trying to tell us, if we're going to be someone who says, you know, I saw on your banner it said living in love. What does that mean? It means this. It means that I believe that you're more important than me, and I'll lay down my life for you. And I'm going to accept the person at the table who's going to betray me in 30 minutes. This is what living in love was to Jesus. It's sitting across from a guy who was about to betray him. And accepting that guy. Craziness. It's being in this room with people who you have nothing in common with, but somehow finding common ground in Jesus. It's being on a retreat with people who mess with your comfort zone for four days. And you're just looking for escapes. I'm not saying that was me, but maybe it was (laughs) y'all. What is living in love? It's mutual submission. It's this idea that the pastor's not the most important The worship leader is not the most important. Finance is not the most important. But that each person has a place in the community and we fall in love with one another and we mutually submit to one another. It's the idea that that seat doesn't really belong to you and that one's not yours. It's the idea that it's a little too cold in here and we need to turn that up or I'm not coming back. It's the idea that, well, the music was a little loud. I'm going to this other church. Those would be things we would kind of giggle at. Does that make sense? Because living as love is about a family. My family's in this room. And if we were going to leave because of crazy, we would have done that a long time ago. Because there's some crazy in my family. And every family has crazy, right? I'm just, I'm just jumping all over the place. I'm going to read you this. If you'll open up to Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. 
I love how he, and just as you're getting there, I love how he sat at this table, and I love how he challenged these guys. And he knew he'd be betrayed, and he knew what was about to happen, and he, all he did was offer grace to these guys. He offered continual grace because he wanted to set a foundation, because he was about to ask them to copy what he has done. Go and do this, right? Go and be this in a community. This is Luke 22, 24 through 30. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's beautiful. He's asking us to join at his table with his kingdom. And he's asking us to do likewise. And so I'm just going to ask you three questions. And James, you can go ahead and come up. Three, three simple questions for you today. Are you trying to earn something right now? Let me, let me just get your eyes for this portion. Are you trying to earn something from him right now? Are you trying to earn something that he's already tried to give to you for free right now? And here's the trick about this question. The person who struggles in this isn't the first one that's like, I'm doing that. So let that question settle in again. Are you trying to earn something from him that he already gave you? What are the fruit of those kind of things if you're doing that? You don't have peace. You don't rest. You don't have joy. You feel far away from him. You feel like you still, you're still going to be punished. These are fruits of people who feel like they need to earn from him what he's trying to give you for free. Peter, sit down. Shut your mouth. I'm giving you a gift, buddy. He's patting them on the bottom, rubbing their head. I'm trying to give you a gift, okay? Sit down, be quiet, put the crayons up, and let me give you a gift. And the gift is all of me, and it's for you. You can only receive it in the form of a gift. If you earn it, it's not actually from me. If you earn it, like he said, you will not receive it. So put the tools down. Like walk away from the tools. Walk away from the things connected to hard work. And hard work is good. Receive the gift. That's number one. Number two is, do you, do you understand what he did? Okay. Jesus walks up to you right now in this room. I'm going to do three times look in my eyes. More than once, usually. He walks up to you right now, and he kneels in front of you. Get that in your mind's eye real quick. Imaginative prayer. And he starts to take off your shoes. Jesus, who created you and knew you and formed you in your mother's womb, there was never a time when he did not know you were going to be created. There's never a moment where he's like, I think I'll create Bill. Always in his mind, you were there for here right now. Craziness. Walks over to you, takes off your shoes, begins to wash your feet, and looks you in the eye, and you're looking down at him. Wow. And he says to you, do you understand what I am doing for you? 
And here's the trick about you and them. The cross happened 2,000 years ago. So you do understand that he came and died and that he did that for you. And so you have to say to him, I do understand. We're not like the disciples who didn't. I do understand. I think he would ask you, will you receive it? Ah, it's good stuff. That's question two. That could preach for a year. You would be bored to death. But that is so good. If you can understand. Here's just one more thing on that. If you can't let him come do that to you, you can't take his gospel to anyone. If you can't let him crawl over to you, take off his godness and serve you who he created, you can't go and take his gospel to the performer. Don't take his gospel. You're only going to harm people. You have to serve to be served. And and you can tell when somebody's received it by the way they love people. Next week's passage, they'll know you by the way you love one another. You can tell when someone's truly in love with Jesus because they give anything to love someone else. There's no stipulations connected. That's your second question. Your third question. (laughs) Is is there any, for, for you who've received it, whose feet is Jesus asking you to wash? Legitimately. Not actual feet. I don't have a basin or anything in here. I mean, you can, you can hit the tub or the steam room if you wanted. Do a steaming. It's legitimately back there. You can check it out. Last time, look in my eyes. Whose feet? Let me put it another way. Who is Jesus asking you to humble yourself before and serve? Is Jesus greater than us? Absolutely. Jesus took off his godness to become man and clothed himself as a slave to humanity and nailed himself to a cross so that we could be connected forever and then said, go and do likewise. Do not buy a $50 million jet. Serve people. That's what he said. I'm sending you as sheep to love people And if you do that well, if you wash people's feet and love them well, they will fall in love with who you love. So if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet. Father, we just, um, we invite you. This is a corporate time to just invite him in. Let him speak personally to you. We believe in that. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active, alive. He is the word, sharper than any two-edged sword. And he can speak clearer to you than I can 100% of the time. And so give room in your heart and minds for him to speak to you right now. Father, where are you asking me to respond? Guide my heart right now. Let him in. Prayer teams, if you want to come up and be available on each side, that would be amazing. Father, we just corporately... I just want to take a moment corporately and and actually verbally thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And you can do it from your seat and I'll do it from here. Father, we're only here because you, God, we're only here because of what you did, what you're doing and what you will do. This continual selflessness that we don't deserve 
It's the second chance idea. It's the fifth chance idea. It's the one who is in this room right now, nasty, covered in sin, realizing, oh my goodness, I'm sitting at a table with the Lord. And him looking across and walking over and taking off the shoes of people's feet who are covered in sin and washing those feet and saying, do you understand yet? Take your eyes off the sin and place it on me. Let me wash you. Cleanse us, Lord, today. Just respond to him for the next few moments. Thank you. 
send some of some people to you to just pray into you and love you but it's going to take a little bit of boldness you know this is part of living in love is being able to say i need help and then people actually saying i will help so if you're the if you're a person who is just overwhelmed with discouragement and would like people to come surround you just raise your hand please and we'll send people to you we got somebody right here right here going once going twice so three or four people just surround them you know if you need to leave you can leave anybody else Right here, just surround in love. James will stay up and, and serenade with some awesomeness. Anybody in this section? Father, I thank you so much for our community and I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would do as you did to your disciples in the upper room as they prayed fervently, that you would send your Spirit's power. God, send the Holy Spirit to fill as it is in Acts 2, God. I pray that the waters of discouragement will rise with the people we're praying for, that we would lift them up and hold them. And I just encourage whoever's praying for someone who's discouraged, speak life directly into them. Speak word into them. Remind them of their original identity created in Christ Jesus. A new creation. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done this for all of us. Spend some time praying. I love you guys. If you need to go, feel free to go. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.